This podcast was produced on the traditional lands of the Dharawal people. We wish to pay our respects to the elders past, present and those emerging. I think to live a rich life, which is what I want to do in the face of what I couldn't do, that drives me more than anything else, you know, to live the richest life I can live. It's to balance those two things, you know, it's to balance the times of wintering, of stillness, of introspection with the times of going out into the world and, you know, putting yourself out there and doing something big and brave, which is my hashtag, you know, that is beyond your comfort zone that you don't think you can do. Like it, it's for me anyway, and I, I don't say for a moment, like, you know, I always say, I'm not saying in writing my books or doing podcasts like this that I want anyone to live their life like me. In fact, I'd rather you didn't live your life like me because that would be too much much competition. I want you to live your life like you. And if there's anything in my story that can inspire you, then that is what I'm trying to put into the world. Because as I always say, like we always, we all have sad stuff. My sad stuff was that I couldn't have a baby with the man that I love. And then I went on to lose that man. Um, but I think you have to take your sad shit stuff and turn it into something good for yourself, number one. And if you can, for other people. That's my life philosophy. Along with struggle well, which we talked about in the last podcast and actually is in my book. Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast, hosted by Sarah Lawrence. Baron Lee Smith, and me, Michael Hughes, where we, with all our special guests, explore what it means to be childless, and hoping we can help you feel validated, seen, and inspired, and in turn help you navigate this very different life to the one we thought we were going to have. This episode, we welcome back the absolutely inspirational Jessica Hepburn, where we talk about her upcoming memoir, Save Me From The Waves. I think you will very quickly realise how much love and respect we have for Jessica. And we also identify a couple of challenges for you to take up for her and perhaps give some love back. Oh, and keep an eye on our social media to how you can win a signed copy of her book. And you can find all our links at www.thefullstoppod.com and you can also sign up for our listeners list to keep up to date with what's going on in the wider Childless Not By Choice world. And while you're there, you can also find out about joining our own private online community. Okay, let's get talking to Jessica. Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast for the second time, Jessica Hepburn. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Happy Sunday morning or Sunday evening to Michael and anyone who's on the other side of the world. Indeed, yes. So... Here we all are. We're actually doing a thing in our um in our online community where we're arranging to come down to the book launch. So we're all yes, I ca- oh please please join me fifth of March. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to really focus when I say fifth of March because pub official publication day is the seventh of March. Um. At, and but because very excitingly, yeah, I the lyric, which is my theatre home, I ran it for a decade, have offered me the main house 
550 seats to fill, uh, uh, but the only day they could do was the Tuesday the 5th. So I, but I keep mixing them up. So Tuesday the 5th of March. Oh, I'm excited to hear that. I know we've literally got a little gathering going on so we can all go and do um, like drinks and, and, and nibbles or food or whatever before we come down so that we're all we're all fed, watered and, and on the way. <laughs> a jolly and jolly. A jolly. There yeah. can be a little singing. <laughs> oh, just saying. Just saying. Oh. <laughs> a little audience participation. <laughs> just no pressure. No pressure. We're all up. <laughs> oh wow now we're going to come on mass aren't we hopefully so yes yeah just to warn you um that that's going to happen jessica not that <laughs> we'll fill the seats don't you worry oh good thanks and michael i'm just exploring whether because i was going to do a live launch and an online launch and that's still in the sort of offing but because this launch is becoming such an exciting thing i'm I'm definitely thinking of recording it and potentially live streaming it. So you could even join us from the other side of the world if you want to. <laughs> I'll stick it in my diary. Thank you. Hey, be- before we go on, Jessica, um, obviously we know who you are, but there'll be a lot of our audience that won't know who you are. Well, I can't, there'd probably be one or two, I would imagine. But how about who are you and what do you do? Oh. So I just thank you. Thank you um, for that reminder that I am. That <laughs> Yes, of course. Uh, I don't assume anyone knows who I am. Um, but I uh, so and I've got a, what I know is a weird job title in that. But I'm really settling into it now. So I describe myself as an author, arts producer and adventure activist. Um, and. The arts producer, which is the middle bit, is the easiest um, bit to describe. And in a way, that riffs off just what we've been talking about, because for most of my early career, I worked in the arts, specifically the theatre. And for a decade, I ran the Lyric Hammersmith, um, which is a big theatre in London, West London, for those people who don't know it. Um, And as we were just talking about, as we came into the podcast, my book launch is going to be there in March, um, the launch of my third book, which is called Save Me From The Waves. Um, And that's the author part of my job. So um, in fact, this is an extraordinary time to be talking to you and for this third book to be coming out because it was a decade ago that my first book came out exactly a decade ago in February. And that book was called The Pursuit of Motherhood. Um, it, it, it was what it says on the title. It was my journey through 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF, um, my mis- what I call my misery memoir. Um, uh, although hopefully there are a few laughs in it too. In fact, someone wrote to me yesterday. I did a talk, um, the week before last and someone said they were reading it and it was making them laugh yesterday morning. So that filled me with joy. Um, and, uh, and so that came out a decade ago and then I went on to write another book, which was called 21 miles, uh, swimming in search of the meaning of motherhood. And then there's this third book and that all brings me neatly onto the third part, which is adventure activists. So I always say when I turned 43 after, my 11th round of unsuccessful IVF, I basically decided I needed to do something different. And the thing that I decided to do was that I was going to swim the English Channel, which was nuts because I wasn't a very good swimmer. um, And I had no idea what was involved, but it was a journey that like changed my life, 
And it led on to me taking on these big physical and mental endurance challenges to raise awareness of what it's like to go through a fertility, an unsuccessful fertility journey, which I think is the other biggest physical and mental endurance challenge. Um, but also because these adventures that I've been on um, have changed my life for the better in so many ways, infinitely. And this third book, and this is the end of this long introduction, um, is is called, as I said, called Save Me From The Waves. And it's about my journey from the top of Parliament Hill in London, where I live, to the top of the world, literally Everest, although I call her Chomalungma. We might come on to talk about that, which is her original Tibetan Sherpa name. Um, and it was all fueled um, by listening to my every episode of my favorite radio program, Desert Islandis. That's me in a nutshell. How long did that take? I'm trying to get it quicker. <laughs> I thought that was really speedy, actually, given oh. everything you had to cover. <laughs> bless you, Sarah. Bless you. Yeah, pro- proper pro. I, yeah, that was fun. That was, and I love the fact that it's three A's in your... your I know. Do you know what, Berenice? Thank love- you. I, whenever I give a talk these days, I always start with this is my job title and I then go, I love alliteration. I just like, and also it's a bit like you have to be like strict with yourself in writing because I sort of have got to a point in my writing where I just want everything to ha- have alliteration. <laughs> whenever I write a word, I'm like, oh, where can I find a word that can go with it that has the same letter at the beginning? So I just mustn't overuse it. But I, I absolutely love alliteration. And I also love the number three. Like three is my favourite number. So, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Three, three books. <laughs> <laughs> three books, three, three adventures. Mm. Wow. Amazing. So... But, you know, you've got to actually that's a. Re- I know that wasn't a question, but it's actually quite a good question because you've got to find the patterns in life, you know. Um, and also, I know, you know, we'll, you know, the full stop podcast is particularly geared at people who've been on a um, uh, well, they might not have been on a fertility journey, but have been on a childless journey, whatever that looks like for them. And um, and and, you know, like. Part of what I think I've done successfully, if I've done anything successfully, is that I've made sense of what I've been through and made a story about it, both literally in the form of a book, but metaphorically sort of in terms of how I think about my life. And these patterns like the threes and the the alliteration even, you know, they're, they're an important part of me reaching peace about what has been a very very hard journey for me I like that it's it's finding a life hook that's what keeps, sort of pops in my head when I'm listening to you it because it, it, it is isn't it? I know Jodie's talked about this too it's this term living a life unexpected and trying to make some sense of it definitely and you know and I, I think I think everyone you know like also for those people who know about a lot about psychology and um you know Sarah I'm sure will have heard this you know coherence is so important in terms of making sense of our lives making and particularly the trauma of our life making a coherent story out of what it was why it happened what it led to what can come out of that is 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 really really important in the healing process um and I think that is what I've been trying to do yeah could you talk a bit more about that 
um, Jessica and Sarah about coherence. Um, just for listeners who aren't familiar with it, because that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, what would you say about this 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 term of coherence? Um, I think for me, it's um, putting yourself back together again with a new story and a new, I guess, a new person. You're a new person, so you got. For me, I always visualise it as I was I was one person before my childlessness. I fell apart and then I had to put myself back together again. But that falling apart will always be part of my my narrative, my being, who I am and my story. And I think part of the counselling when I work with people is helping them make sense of their falling apart uh, and putting themselves back together again. And you will always be a changed, different person. But I think what I love about it is we find our meanings in different ways. So for you know, Jessica, Jessica climbs a mountain or, or swims the channel. For some of us, it might be changing jobs or it might just be, you know, I really want to go and do this this adventure, whatever that is. And I think it's finding our own story and our own way of doing it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that really, you know, I, I, I caught myself then when I was talking because I really... You know, I must never assume and I hope I never do assume that everyone's story is the same as mine. You know, everyone. And, you know, again, this is something that Jodie Day, you mentioned Jodie Berenice talks about a lot. You know, the the 50 ways of becoming childless or the 50 ways to lose, you know, off the spin off the Paul Simon song of 50 ways to lose your lover. You know, like everyone's story. And this is what's. You know, I am in a really good place now, so I have to apologise that I get a bit excited. <laughs> like this, this is what's is amazing that we that we all have very, very different stories in this childlessness arena, and we can take our own story and make whatever we want out of it, um, and it's going to look completely different from everyone else's and in a world where you know and and I suffer from it as well you know particularly with a book coming out you know you're putting yourself out into the world you can't help but compare yourself to everybody else who's doing better than you or seems to be living a more exciting life or you know like and I know that people might look at me and think how do you say that but of course I'm I feel that as well I absolutely feel those feelings of inadequacy as well but I think what's exciting for people is that your story is totally unique and how you make sense of it how you make sense of your childlessness and what came during it and after it is totally yours and you can own that in whatever way you like and that I think is exciting and that is what I've tried to do with my own life I think that's amazing because it, it just gives people some hope that something can be different and it's something I know that I personally struggled with you know that falling apart and putting back together and I'd say it's probably largely down to having role models who've done that and certainly I, I think your story and also Stella Duffy as well when she came on the podcast and there was just a moment in our recording where I had to kind of like <laughs> and we both kind of caught each other because our journey through IVF was very similar and how that can carry on through your life but people come to this space for lots and lots of different reasons partly why the podcast keeps going in this episode 60 we're recording because we've had 60 <laughs> more than that people's stories to share yeah 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 and that Stella's out. story is amazing because actually I mean uh, like Stella is a force of nature so I'm not taking any credit at all but Stella and her partner Shelley 
were in my festival, Fertility Fest, which is I know where you three met. And um and I and and actually Shelley had written a play about IVF, but they hadn't really speak, spoken together, um, uh, sort of uh, uh, on stage about their their fertility journey, and and you know Stella as a campaigner on so many different fronts, you know um, that it hadn't necessarily been the sort of central part of her a- activism. I would say. I mean, I I don't know. She I, I don't I don't want to speak for her, but I think I would be right in saying that. Whereas actually now, you know, she's really talking about it much much more and it's much more and and you know again it's just such a good example that we all have different routes into this and different stories to tell it's um it's interesting isn't it talking about stories and voices and narratives do you find that your story and your voice has changed as your books have come out um jessica evolved oh that's such a good question sarah um Yes and no, right? Uh, No, in the sense that I've written three books where I am the central narrator. This is like a trilogy of work. And this last one that's coming out in March, um, I do very much see as the last in a trilogy of narrative, nonfiction, adventure stories. And I do very much see my IVF journey as my first adventure now. Um, and with me as the central narrator. And after this, I am either never going to write like this again, or I'm not going to write like this again for a long time. So, I mean, never say never, but like I definitely see this as a body of work and this is it. And so know in the sense that I think if you read all my books, you would hear the same voice, you know? I, I write in the same... I try to write, it's me, it's me, you know, and it's the way I write to the world. Um, And I am the central narrator. But yes, in the sense that I think my writing has really developed. And this third book, you know, like the first book, The Pursuit of Motherhood was, I mean, I like glibly call it my misery memoir, but it was, it was like a quite a straightforward journey through IVF, you know, and then in 21 miles i tried to do this thing where i um i was swimming i was coming out of fertility i was swimming the channel it was a, it was sort of inspirational memoir rather than misery memoir it's a journey of healing but also i interviewed these 21 famous women as to whether motherhood makes you happy and so i was sort of combining another element which is complicated to do and you know like publishers at the time didn't think that i could make it work and i hope i did and then this book the third book is is different again in that it's it involves, you know, like what I can be absolutely sure of is that no one has ever written a book like this in the sense that, you know, it's not just about someone who, who's been through uns, unsuccessful IVF and is childless, although that's a theme. It's not about someone who's climbed Everest as a result of that, although that is part of it. It's also about very much about music and which has come out of this listening to every single episode of Desert Island This, my favourite radio programme. So it is all these three things. And that is really complicated. And one of the fears, you know, and I'll be really honest with you, I mean, like, it's amazing because I've got an amazing publisher. There was a small publishing auction for it. And I've really 
struggled with my like to get my writing noticed in the past um I had to self-publish my first book but like um I've had a small publishing auction for this but there's a lot of publishing excitement but one of the fears that I have is that my core readership might not like it as much as the other books you know because it's it's not as straightforward as The Pursuit of Motherhood. Probably of all my books, The Pursuit of Motherhood has sold the best, you know, like, and it keeps selling. Like I told you, like someone was reading it this weekend because that audience of people going through fertility treatment is always regenerating itself. Um, But then I also have a group of people who I know absolutely love 21 Miles, you know, Um, and I worry like this is much more sophisticated, complex book that the publishing world love. But like, will my core readership love it? I have no idea. (laughs) So but like you've got to keep developing. So sorry. Again, that's a long answer. Yes and no. I want to take you back in touch to what you said earlier about Desert Island Disc. So we we. We go around the world, there may be some people that don't know about Desert yeah. Island Discs. And so, in your words, Jessica, what is Je- what is Desert Island Discs oh, and Michael. why is it special to you? Oh, Michael, what a question. Um, uh, what a question just because this is, this is my passionate, this is my passion, right, this radio programme. The first thing to say is wherever you are in the world, you can listen to it because it's a BBC radio programme that is available worldwide. BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, um, our public service broadcaster. And it is the what they would describe as the jewel in their crown in terms of radio shows, um, because it's one of the longest BBC radio shows running ever. It's been running since 1942. So it's 80, it's just celebrated a, a, a year or so ago, it's 80th anniversary, and it's been running for all that time. And um, and that's why the listening to every single episode was like a massive task because it was like an Everest of listening. It was over three that there have been over three thousand episodes, and the brilliance of the format is this: so guests on the show who have been basically the who's who of British twentieth century history, but it also has guests from all over the world. Um, plenty of Australian guests, American guests, if you've got people um, listening, um, are invited to, they're, they're, they're invited to be cast away on a desert island. And when they're cast away on this desert island, they have to choose eight records, one book and one luxury item that to take with them. That's all. And and the format of the story of the show, which is like 40 to 45 minutes long, is about them talking through this selection. And what is extraordinary about it is that, first of all, when it was first aired, it was the first ever sort of autobiographical confessional interview on the radio. I mean, like now, nowadays, you know, this is everywhere. We're doing it right now in a podcast, you know, people talking about their life. But when Desert Islandists started, people didn't do this, you know, and certainly famous people or like, or, or, or successful people did not talk about their life. But what the music does is that it it makes them talk about their life in a way that sometimes they don't even realize 
how sort of deep they're going. And that is why it remains, even with like confessional interviews everywhere now, such a special thing because the music provides the anchor for people talking about their life and their their feelings. Um, and, you know, even in the last few years, you will hear people on, on I mean, like a really good example. And I, you know, like I, one of the things I'm doing at the moment is recommending different episodes to for people to listen to and and like I'll give you a real example everyone will probably know this person Tom Hanks you know the film actor Tom Hanks go and listen to his episode because he's a really really good example of how it gets you because he I mean he he only did probably Desert Island Disc because because he was told by his publicist that it was an important program in the UK when he was bringing out a film and so he he did it. He's probably very selective about what press he does. And he chose his eight songs and he talks about how he got into the movies. And there's just this moment in in the episode where it just hits hit hits him and he gets emotion he gets really emotional. And you can tell he didn't even realize he's such a professional. He doesn't even realize he's gonna he's it's gonna hit him like this. Um and that is the beauty of the program. It's about m- memory um revealed through the music and I'm a de- I'm a desert islandist devotee, <laughs> as you can tell. So I hope that's a little example of what well, a description of what it is, Michael. Thanks. And so, how does it, without giving any spoilers about your book, how does it parallel with your book? You said earlier yeah. that um, yeah, it was a big inspiration. Yeah. So uh, what I can tell you is the very first chapter of the book. Um, is that I, I'm training for the London Marathon. So after the, so after the channel, and I felt really healed very much so in terms of my um, fertility journey coming out of the channel, but then my relationship broke down. And I always say, you know, like it heaped loss upon loss, you know, like the double loss just broke me. It absolutely broke me. And I turned to adventuring again. And the first thing I did was that I decided I was going to run the London Marathon. And I'm delighted I ran the London Marathon. It's my like something that always been on my bucket list. It's my home city. Um, But I was a terrible runner (laughs) and I, uh, and I, I wasn't really enjoying it. And I decided that I had to go on this 18 mile training run that I would listen to something to get me through. And I I wasn't even, you know, I say I wasn't even listening to music at that point because I'm like, I'm not good on technology. And I was just sort of like, I'm doing this thing. Let's get it over with, you know, grit your teeth. Anyway, I decided I'd listen to something and I decided that I would listen to an episode of Desert Island Dis. And it was just right, you know, this is in 2017 when the podcast thing was really taking off and the BBC had made Desert Island Dis into a podcast so you could listen to it. Um, You didn't have to listen to it live. And um, I listened to the comedian Jimmy Carr and he just... He just said this thing when he was choosing his music. He just said this thing through my headphones, into my heart. What do you want in life? That strikes me as the most important question. What do you want? And in that moment, I just couldn't answer what I wanted anymore because I knew for a decade that I wanted a baby, you know, and then I and then I'd started to see that I could have a life without a baby. And I was going to have this life with my partner who I loved and we were going to go 
on adventures together and then that like fell apart and I just like in that moment I I just didn't know what I wanted and the only thing I could answer in that moment was I want to go like I want to go to a desert island desert island with my eight discs I want to choose my eight discs because I've always sort of like had the harbored this idea that I'd love to be on the show and that was what and that really was the start of what became this journey to climb to the top of the world listening to every single episode and then I just started to listen and it took me it's taken me years both to get to the top of the world and listen to the whole archive and the only other thing that I would say so that's how it all started and the only other thing that I would say which is a sort of thing if you read the book that you'll hopefully experience is to begin with in the book it's very much like I'm listening to these people and they're giving me their music and they're giving me their wisdom and it's generating all sorts of thoughts, which if you read the book, you'll understand. But what happened gradually and what happens in the book as I write it is that gradually this, these people in my head, these amazing people, they became my family. You know, and one of the things that I do always say to anyone who is childless, myself included, is you have to find your family. And your family might not be your own children. And of course, that's the quickest route to family and why so many of us want it. But but if you can't find your family in that way, you need to find your family in other ways because social connection is so important to human beings. And so these castaways, as the book progresses, they start, we start talking to one another. They become my family. And what an amazing family to have, let me tell you. Some of the most amazing people, most inspirational people in the world. So that that's how how they sort of impact. Sorry, you've got me babbling away. You what? always do this, actually. <laughs> this last time, you guys. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know whether it's the shared experience or but I do or your brilliance as interviewers. I think it's both. Um, but like you get me talking in a way that is extraordinary. Thank you. You're welcome. Michael does ask some very good questions. They both do. <laughs> I'm waiting for another one to come up in a minute, don't worry. Can I just ask, if they asked you to go on Desert Island Discs, would you go on there? Or would you Berenice. bring the stage fright? Would it be too much? Berenice, if they asked me, <laughs> I, I I could die happy. I w- of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'd faint and then I would die probably happy um, before I'd even got on the show. But the thing is, everyone says to me, like, you're going to be on it. You're going to be on it. You know, like also one of the interesting facts is that, you know, they've ne- they've had several Everest summiteers on the show, but they haven't had a woman, of course. Um, so I could be the first woman. Um, but uh, it's so hard to get on the show, right? It's like the alternative honours system in the UK. You know, it's that hard. Um, and... And, you know, anyone, anyone, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like getting on Woman's Hour on, on BBC Radio 4 for anyone who are, you know, here that are in the British audience. You know, people, you know, like people, I, I finally popped my Women's Hour cherry in October and I was so excited. And people just said to me for a decade, well, you must have been in Women's Hour with all your fertility campaigning and like, like, no, it just doesn't work like that. These jewels in the 
in the BBC radio and television crown, it is virtually impossible to get on them. So uh, like, of course it would be my dream, but, but I'm, but I've, you know, hopefully I'm going to live many years and there are other things that I can do that may, might make me eligible at some point, who knows, but I'm not holding out the hope and it doesn't take, even if I was never on it, it doesn't take away the joy that it's given me, which has been unadulterated. Oh, sorry. But do, do you have your eight discs lined up? You know what you're going to, or does it change? Because oh. I think mine changes. If I, I've got a list and it always changes because I've been a devotee since you told me about it. And I used to listen oh. to it a bit, then I stopped. And then I realised they've got the archives and they've found the lost ones. There's like some more to listen to now. I'm just like, who are these people? Because I don't know what of them. <laughs> I know. And that is also uh, what well, I love the fact that you got to listen in answer to that question you have to read my book to 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 I, to, I thought there might be a story yeah, that that, I, yeah. that's the answer <laughs> to that question but um, but like uh yeah it, it, the archive is I mean obviously the current programs are great because you've got people who are current at, you know at the moment whether they're famous or not famous I mean actually to be honest some I mean everyone you know, everyone who's on the show has got a Wikipedia site, basically, you know, like everyone who's on the show has done something important, but not everyone is a household name like Tom Hanks. And, but actually sometimes it's the people who are not household names that are like much more interesting, you know, like they've had incredible lives and, and yeah, the archive, the, I have just, you know, I, I always say that I'm really shit at history. Like I'm really, really bad at remembering facts, you know, um, like, God, my ex-partner, Peter, you know, the number of times he would try and teach me the years of the Battle of Waterloo versus the Battle of Trafalgar. I mean, like, I just still can't remember it. And he used to test me on it all the time. Please don't test me on it. Um, but, like, actually listening to the show, listening to, like, 80 years of the show, like, it taught me so much. You know, like, like nearly all the British prime ministers have been on the show. So now, you know, I can list you all the post-war British prime ministers in a way that I never could have done before, you know, and I can list it, you know, and I, so, and just, like, everything, every, you know, because also the guests are from, like, all different walks of life the other thing that it's taught me loads about is South Africa because a lot of the guests on the show over the last 80 years have been played important um roles in 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 the struggle against apartheid that I've learned a lot about the holocaust again a lot of people who escaped Nazi Germany have been on the show um you know like my 20th century history has just changed like inordinately because of this show as well as uh, my music knowledge I mean that is just and my love of music I mean I always like music but now it's just so central I think I think I should be on commission from the uh, actually one other thing can I say that um which is very exciting is that um I I've recorded in October the audiobook for the show and one of the things that I read, every chapter in the book starts with an epigraph um, from um, from one of the castaways. And the thing that I really, really wanted was these epigraphs to be read out from the show, um, like the real voices of the castaways. Everyone from Maya Angelou to Louis Armstrong to Emma Thompson to Edmund Hillary, who was the first man to climb Everest. And... Um, 
I and the and again, you know, like the BBC are so difficult, but they have been amazing. And in October, I managed to secure the rights to get these clips. Um, and my publisher is just like over the moon. So if you listen to the audiobook, which is possibly even more, I'd like people to listen to even more than read the real book because the castaway voices are in the audio. Um, I'm just so excited about that. And one of the conversations we're trying to have at the moment with my publisher is to try and, I mean, it will be on Spotify and obviously Audible, but like what we're trying to do is get embed the music into into the actual book. But that's a big sort of discussion that won't happen necessarily immediately. But Spotify are potentially really interested in that because... I think it is a it works best as a reading and a listening experience because music is so fundamental to the book. Anyway, no, I can hear that. That's amazing. I work with alongside permissions people, so the rights of that that that's quite a coup. I have to yeah. say. Oh, it really is. But I think it, I think it was the perfect moment, Berenice, because of course the BBC, because there's so much pressure on them now in terms of the you know, um, them being a public service broadcaster and the government are really questioning their value, that they're having to be more commercial. So, um, I mean, in fact, I think last year it was announced that they sold the rights to Desert Island Discs around the world so other people can use the format um, because um, up until this point, no one's ever been able to replicate anything like it in other countries. You know, it is the BBC radio programme. So, I just think it was sort of perfect timing. And also, you know, like, I'm a big fan of the show, right? So, you know, hopefully I'm going to encourage other people to come and listen to it, you know. I am its super fan. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but when you when you think about that, Jessica, that, that is groundbreaking. That yeah. You're, you're, you're crossing technologies now that... that no one's done. I don't think anyone's done. No, and you're, it's so true, Michael. There's Michael with one of his good questions. Because um, when I was talking to my partner, I literally like got the rights in October. We recorded it, the audiobook in October. The Spotify conversation happened in November. It started to happen in November. And actually, Spotify really excited about it. But the technology doesn't exist yet to embed music like that and the rights discussions haven't happened with all the artists to embed music like that into an audio. So what's exciting is that if you listen to it in Spotify, I mean, oh God, this is an advert. I mean, I love Audible too, Audible. <laughs> um, but if you listen to it in Spotify, at least then you're one click away from the music. Do you know what I mean? So you can go, yeah. I've listened to a chapter. Oh, I'd really like to listen to that song now. Um, I'll go I'll, like I, I'm I'm already in the app I can listen to it you know you don't have to come out and go somewhere else but what would mm -hmm. be brilliant and we're working towards is a situation which is like at the end of a chapter it's like do you want to listen to this song now or do you want to listen to this song or move on to the next chapter I mean I do think I do think that 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 will is going to be really exciting for the book if we can make that happen <clears throat> I'm excited because I, I listen to a lot of audio books because I'm on the road a lot. So I'm excited. About yeah. This. Yeah. I think it would be, I think it would really, you know, like I, I've tried to choose like the music that's in the book, you know, obviously some's very personal to me and, and, but a lot of the music is, is, um, 
I've created this algorithm of 300 artist slash tracks that can be cross-referenced against every single castaway on the show. And what I what I propose is that this is the algorithm of songs for life, right? And a lot of them, like that, basically the, these are the three mo- 300 most important sort of artist songs of the last hundred years. That that that's my that that's kind of my proposal. This is what I mean about this book being much more, you know, complicated and um, uh, and yeah, ho- hopefully better. Um, but um, yeah, and so, but still, you know, even though these are three hundred quite well known artists, you know, from the Beatles to Beethoven. Um, people won't always know if I'm talking about a specific song, like that song. And so it would be really interesting and I think um, lovely for people to be, oh, I'd really like to listen to that song, you know. Um, So I really hope we can make that happen. Anyway, sorry, you you really are getting me blurring. I hope this is interesting for your listeners. I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So is this your next Everest then? Is this your... No, this this has come to an end now. This this this. Do you know what I was on? Do you know I was on the phone to um, my best friend this morning? Who well, I have two best friends. One of my two best friends who lives in Australia in Sydney, actually, Michael. So we always speak on a Sunday morning, and um, I was just saying to her this morning. I said, "Oh, Tar, you know." I'm just starting to feel because I've made this year like 2024 is my year of self-love. I've decided um, that's another bigger conversation. But um, self-love is an icky phrase, but I've decided to embrace it. I um, And um, and but I was saying to her, do you know, what? I'm getting to the point. Obviously, this is going to be I mean, part of the reason why it's the year of self-love is this is going to be a, a hugely busy year for me because the book's coming out. It's my first book in uh, six years, you know, like there's a lot happening around it and it's going to require, it's going to be like uh, um, a listening to the whole archive or climbing Everest, you know, in terms of the amount of work. But I was, um, yeah, I was saying to her, like what I need next is some time off. <laughs> like, and I just this morning thought, you know, at some point, I don't know when it will be, but I, I am going to, like I'm just getting excited about the idea about actually doing nothing for a little while. So, so yeah, I do have an Everest, in answer to your question, Sarah, I do have an Everest to climb this year, which is getting the book into the world, which is very different from writing it, researching it, all the things I did to make it happen. And it is, and and that's my Everest, but like actually in terms of um, what I want to do after I've done this is that I just want to do nothing for a while. Feels like you've earned it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it going to be tricky though to do nothing? How, how do you feel about I, it? I don't, I, I don't. Yeah, of course it's going to be tricky, but like you've got to like I believe in growth, right? I'm really like if you read my book, you'll see I, I had a very traumatic experience on Chomalungma, who saved me. She saved me, but I nearly died up there. And um, so the last section of my uh, book um, is is about songs to die to, because I think we all need 
a song that we want to die to, as well as our funeral songs, different things. If you read my book, you'll see why I think they're different. Um, but I'm very, very motivated by death. And uh, sorry if that sounds weird. Um, uh, but I also think, you know, I'm 53 now. I, I, people started to around me get ill and die too soon, right? I've had quite a lot of um, experience of that. Um, particularly recently Um, and I looked death in the face on my mountain only for 48 hours but I did Um, and and so I'm really motivated by taking on challenges and not all challenges and and going on adventures need to be high and far away or 3,000 episodes of listening. You know, for me, yes, it will be an adventure and a challenge to do nothing. But I want to try that because what what's going to happen to me? You know, like it will be hard and but and it and the outcome is unknown, but I'm excited by what journey that offers me and that that's so that's why yeah it will be hard but I want to do it I love that I think it's a really strong message isn't it sometimes we've got to just sit with ourselves uh-huh yeah I think it's I think it's one of the growth things I've noticed as well is kind of as you do get older you become more I don't know thinking more about what what life brings even if you just stop and pause and you haven't got to be right herring around like a you know, doing all these different things, but actually, you know, part of life is death, isn't it? It's. Well, I've had a few experiences of it lately, and it, it makes you quite. Um, I don't know. I think you pause a bit, don't you? Think well, actually, what do I want to get out of life? Like Jimmy Carr said, isn't it? Yeah. It means hacking up a mountain necessarily. It might be sitting with yourself and working yourself out. I love that. Yeah, Sarah. I think it's both those things. You know. I think to live a rich life, which is what I want to do, you know, um, in the face of what I couldn't do, you know, that is that it drives me more than anything else, you know, to live the richest life I can live. And it's to to balance those two things, you know, it's the balance, the times of wintering, of stillness, of introspection with the times of going out into the world and, you know, putting yourself out there and doing something big and brave, which is my hashtag, you know, that is beyond your comfort zone that you don't think you can do. Like it, it's for me anyway, and I, I don't say for a moment, like, you know, I always say, I'm not saying in writing my books or doing podcasts like this, that I want anyone to live their life like me. In fact, I'd rather you didn't live your life like me because that would be too much much competition. I want you to live your life like you. And if there's anything in my story that can inspire you, then, then that is what I'm trying to put into the world. Because as I always say, like we always, we all have sad stuff. My sad stuff was that I couldn't have a baby with the man that I love and then I went on to lose that man. Um, but I think you have to take your sad shit stuff and turn it into something good for yourself, number one. And if you can, for other people. That's my life philosophy. Along with struggle well, 
which we talked about in the last podcast and actually is in my book. I always sat with that for a long time, struggle well. There's an awful lot of meaning to that. I often refer to it sometimes on the really, really bad days. Yeah. Are you struggling well with this? Yeah. Or are the wheels really falling off? Yeah. And often they're not falling off at all. I'm just not struggling well. I think that's a good lesson for life. You mentioned about how I'm gonna I'm gonna hash up the pronunciation now, but I'm gonna go with this. So Chomalongma. Yay. Yay. Very good. Good. Thank you. Um saving your life. Mm. And I'm just wondering, um, you mentioned cycling back to your swim across the English Channel and the London Marathon. And has that altered perhaps your perception of place and your connection with the places where you've had these adventures? Is there a new meaning to the English Channel and London for you now? And Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because there isn't, you know, what I've tried to put in this third book is sort of everything that's landed in terms of... Um, uh, everything that's landed in terms, I was just sorry, I was, I was hesitated for a moment because I saw it come up on the screen that someone um, uh, chickened out on the pronunciation of Chomalungma. Um, uh, but you did brilliantly, Berenice. Um, but yeah, like it's, I've tried to put into this third book everything that I've sort of like realized in life and or that has, you, you know, has settled as sort of key philosophies I suppose and um and the relationship with the sea and the mountains and particularly the channel and Chomolongma is so profound for me and it is so connected to my fertility story and for me and I never knew that when I embarked on the journey that uh, that that this would be the result uh but you know I write in 21 miles my second book the moment when I realized that swimming the channel was just like going through IVF you know because it didn't I wasn't a very good swimmer but I was doing all the right things in terms of learning how to do the crawl and and do all the training. And then I realized that actually, because I did this relay and the weather turned bad and we were fished out and we didn't get across. It was part of, I was swimming it as part of a team. It wasn't my solo attempt. And at that point I realized that whether I got across the channel was out of my control. And it was terrifying because I thought, there's a very real chance I'm going to fail at something again. You know, I failed at 11 rounds of IVF and um, and now I failed to get across, I, I might fail to get across the channel. Now, in actual fact, I did swim across the channel and I, I put that very much down to the channel allowing me to do that. And I do describe it as my version of giving birth because it was 17 hours, 44 minutes and 30 seconds of pain eclipsed by euphoria when my feet touched the sand in France and then and then I yes I ran the London Marathon and it's very different I mean I'm delighted I did it and it's sort of the 
jam in the sandwich as it were but like it's very different from the sea in the mountains because if you start in Greenwich and you run to the Mall, you don't stop you'll get there but the mountains is like the sea you know they decide whether you're going to climb them and you have to listen to that and you know I had three attempts on Chomolongma Um, My first was a non-attempt because the mountain was closed due to COVID and I couldn't go. Then my second attempt, I wasn't able to summit for a whole range of reasons. And then I did summit on my third attempt, but I had this terrible accident on the way down. And this accident was nothing to do with the mountain and it was nothing to do with me. It was a man-made accident. I got hit by an oxygen bottle, um, which broke my leg in the death zone. And then there was a load of other shit on top of that. And if the weather had been bad, I would have died. And I did look death in the face because at one point I got altitude blindness. I'd broken my leg. I couldn't see. And I just thought that's too high for helicopter rescue. I just thought I I, I don't think I'm going to get down. And but I did get down and I credit that to Chomolongma. And I did feel after both those things and where I am now is that like nature is my God, you know? And I just have such, she didn't give me a baby, but she did allow me to swim the channel, which was part of my healing process. And then she saved my life. And I, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the moment. That's all bollocks to some extent I know that I know it's all woo woo and bollocks you know but that's how I've made sense of it it makes sense to me and I love it and so I'm holding on to it yeah that that's how profound that relationship is and it just makes everything good in life for me you know it makes sense of everything it makes sense of all the pain and it's something to take forward for me as I, as I progress towards death, <laughs> which will come, she can't sense. save me ultimately. She won't. <laughs> it makes sense to me completely. I started revisiting places where I've had trauma or where I've, I've sort of done, yeah, I've had the, the lowest of lows and I've gone back to visit them over the past few years. And yeah, that's hard. But actually sometimes, yeah, nature, the planet, places can can save us too I absolutely can see that as well I think it's very poignant our sense of place and our sense of belonging in the world can be really rattled when we're not doing the living the life we expected we were going to live yeah oh, and I love that analogy as well with swimming the channel and, and yeah uh, yeah I love that yeah. but would you share a place with us or is that too personal a question that you've returned to because I'd love to hear about that yeah yeah I'm quite happy to talk about it just with a warning that it um I'll I'll avoid some keywords here but that one of the places actually was this is going to sound completely nuts but it's a farm shop um <laughs> just one of those random things and it was actually at the time when my last IVF was failing I was waiting um to come off the drugs waiting to to bleed all that yeah and we'd gone to um, stay on a railway carriage in, in Wales, in Pembrokeshire. I haven't been back there yet, but I will do one day, but not right now. And a few years later, with the dog, so different life, I'd start 
started I think we started the podcast yes we had yeah the podcast we'd already been doing the full stop so it's within the last four nearly five years of the podcast and I we stopped on the side of the road and it was the same farm shop that we'd stopped in on all the way doing all of this stuff before it's I didn't realize it was the same road which is odd because I thought I might have done but I didn't until we saw this farm shop and I walked in completely fell apart thinking I would be better because I've got a dog now and I'm doing different things and I've moved on and this is all okay and actually I, I wasn't okay and um I went back on the way between story house this year and going down to stay further down in Wales and actually went in and was like okay this is emotional but I'm okay I can lean into it I'm okay with that last time I just literally went slightly in his eyes I had just a huge panic attack massive panic attack um when I went in with the dog but this time I went in just on my own and yeah I, I cried I cried in the car park of the farm shop but that's kind of how random sometimes I think these traumatic events can be but I was like oh, okay I've done that now I've done the snotty crying and I've done that bit and I think next time I go back I'll probably cry again but that's okay that's all right um I can do that and it kind of made me feel a bit braver about going to other places since um I've been to one since which is a particular beach that um yeah I I was gonna literally just walk out into the sea and, and not do swimming and I was determined that was going to be the end there wasn't a point to me anymore and I have been back there and yeah I was able to do the snotty crying and sit on the beach and learn from that too so I think that sense of place and going back and revisiting sometimes and just just giving like that life book or a meaning to it yeah and being kind about ourselves when you talk about self-love and and delving into that then yeah there's a lot of stuff I think there's a, you know, a need to keep going and going and going but pausing and going okay well who am I well, where have I come from from this there's a lot I can take from that too Jessica thank you for asking that question we're meant to be asking you questions but thank you for asking me <laughs> I hope that made some degree of sense to yeah. to, to everyone I love I love that. It's like it's like these pill. It's sort of like a pilgrimage, right? And I I think it's so important. Yeah. Make, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I just really yeah, I love. Yeah. I love that word pilgrimage as well because I'm I'm not particularly religious in any way. Um, apologies if that offends anybody, but I'm not. I had struggles with all of that, but um, I do love. Actually, some of the work of Sheridan Voisey, he talks an awful lot and writes about pilgrimages. And I love that. Um, any programs about those sorts of walks and the winter walks, anything around walking and and nature. And Sarah, I know you're nodding because that's important to you as well. Um, the process of walking and being out in nature and just yeah, some kind of like catharticism about that kind of pilgrimage to somewhere and to to revisit things and to to just connect with nature again. I think just gets us out of our head and into moments. Right, I'm I'm waffling on. <laughs> nature is so so important yeah I I really think it's so healing yeah Mm, yeah and that idea of the found family as well I can very much relate to that I'm quite sure that the reason I could go into the farm shop and have a good snotty cry was because of story house yeah absolutely no it's my found family that did that yeah Yeah. it was amazing story house (laughs) just yeah Amazing! You were like, all to tears, you know. Oh, it just blew me away. 
extraordinary experience yeah really and we do it all again spoiler for us but there we go (laughs) all again soon (laughs) jessica we've we had a question coming from our audience yeah would you do a swim challenge again Um, because this particular person was watching naiad last night and she was thinking of you (laughs) you wouldn't be the first (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, it's a really great question. I love that film, by the way. I was very, very lucky. I got to see it at the London Film Festival, its first um, uh, UK screening. And actually, the not Diane Nyad herself, but her, I've forgotten her name now, but her friend and coach, who's played by Jodie Foster, was there at the screening. So it was very exciting. And I loved the film. And my goodness, what an incredible woman she is. What I feel about... Um, so often when I give talks, I mean, I gave a talk on Thursday, actually, up in the Wirral um, at a rugby club for um, a group of people. And someone always asks at the end, oh, what's your next adventure? And I always say, have I not done enough? Have I not, you know, like it's the channel and Chumalongma, <laughs> not enough. So in terms of like big swims, um, uh, like uh, or, or big mountains, done. But... The sea and open water and the mountains and and nature generally, like I have to keep going back to them. They are a home to me now. And particularly in the way, like I feel like Chomolongwe is my God, but I feel like the water is my home. Uh, And I write about this in the book. And uh, and so I have to go back. and, And when I'm there, I feel like it's, loved and I feel a sense of safety uh weirdly even though I hate the cold so I am trying to do every well I try and swim every week in water not always open water even if it's for a short amount of time and I um I'm trying to do a a small swimming adventure um so last year I did the silly swim challenge and went to the silly islands for the first time which was amazing this year, I'm thinking of doing the Hellespont swim in Turkey. It's between, um, it's a small, very, very famous swim made famous by Lord Byron between Asia and Europe. And, and I'm also trying to swim in new locations, like, to, like my target, because I'm a big list lover and I'm a big goal setter, obviously, but sometimes they can be small goals. Um, I'm trying to swim in 25 new locations. So, so in answer to your question, water is really important small swimming adventures but like the big swims and the big mountains that's done and thank you jessica so now plug let's let's plug your book i mean i know you've <laughs> I talked you about have, it haven't you? i think so you've got a very good plug when, of it. when's it coming out where will it be how can we get it oh. all that all that good stuff yeah, all the good stuff. So it's coming out on the 7th of March, um, although the launch is on the 5th of March. Um, and uh, it's available from all good book shops and online retailers. Um, in fact, I, you know, like if you're someone who's passionate about reading and independent bookshops, then you can go and order it from your local bookseller um but yes of course it's available on amazon for pre-order now and the audio is going to be available we talked about that on audible and spotify 
Um, and if you want to reach out to me in any way, I, I, I'm in my webs. You can do that through my website or any of my social platforms. And actually, I have just started a Substack. Um, I don't know if you guys know about Substack, which is apparently the big next thing after Instagram, um, specifically for uh, writers and content creators. So I'd love you to follow me on Substack if you're interested in hearing from me um, more regularly. And um, yeah, do reach out. I love, love, love hearing from people. I love Substack, actually. It's really good and medium. So yeah, it is. You might, find, you might find a certain podcast on there at some point. Too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because I think, I mean, obviously with your podcast, you can send that out to, well, I don't know quite how podcasts work, but the the real um, challenge of a lot of the social platforms, which I think Substack is trying to uh, combat, is that you're beholden to the algorithm as to whether people see your content or not. Whereas on Substack, people give you their email address and then you can go directly. I mean, you can read it on the app, but your your podcasts, your voice notes, your emails, your videos or whatever you want to create goes straight to the people into people's inboxes. So you're not beholden to the algorithm, which I think is is potentially going to make it a great platform for people. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Wow. I can't like it because the 7th of March is actually my birthday. So it feels like it's my kind of like best present ever. Oh, well, no, even better because you can come on the 5th and then you can do something even more lovely on your birthday. I should just sit somewhere and read, read, save me from the waves. Uh, oh, don't do that on your birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, honestly, a, oh. day, a day with books is oh. just my happy place. I I was listening to something. Oh, what was it? It was QI. Um, it's a random fact, but it was on QI. I happened to watch a repeat of it the other night, and it was about how how more people need the loo in, in bookshops because apparently it's so relaxing. It relaxes all the body. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, apparently random fact. I was like, I don't think I've had that experience, but apparently, yeah, that's a thing. Bookshops are just that calming that people go into. Oh, do you know what? I have the opposite experience in bookshops, although I'm trying to get over it, which is that I get palpitations about all these books that I want to read. I never get to read. Well, <laughs> I do, yeah. I get kind of like, how many can I possibly take home? How can I do this? Um, and I'm reading a book. Um, oh, I can't the title of it, but it's around um, the UK and bookshops. It's Robin Ince. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he just talks about how he just goes into a book. He cannot physically pass one. And he's never known to come out with just one book. He has to come out with with several, which Sarah um, can can give credit to because actually when we went down to London before Christmas we went down and the um, bookshop we wanted to go to words on the water which is the canal barge on Camden Lock wasn't open so we ended up in Hatchards at St Pancras Mm -hmm. and um, yeah we all came out with with I think we all came out with more than one book I know I did did you Sarah I came out with three (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't supposed to be spending any money (laughs) there's something so good about books because you feel like you're improving yourself you know it's not it's not like buying a cake or something although cakes do I feel I I do love a cake you know like and that does improve me but like books you feel like you're learning yeah I'm reading just a plug for a book I'm reading lessons of lessons in chemistry at the moment which I know is a bit late to the party because most people have read it but it's bloody amazing so and it's a good and actually if you want a really good feel good read it's it's the way to go 
I haven't read it yet. It's on my very, very, oh. very ginormous to Yeah, to I know. It's, it gave it to me last summer and it's been sitting there, but I just, yeah, it's a brilliant, it's really great. Yeah. <laughs> it's a novel. For Fantastic. We will pass that on to the Nomo Book Club as well. Oh, um, which yes, you you are on the the website for the Nomo book. Yes, I am. I lovely Rosalind. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Yeah, amazing. So I've been reading reading that too, and that was in our latest newsletter as well. So congratulations. Oh yes, you. my interview for her. Yeah, yeah. I wrote <laughs> I wrote over the new year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Jessica, how would you feel if someone got someone started your wiki page and then got a then started bringing up the BBC to say, get her on Desert Island Disc. Yeah, uh, I would kiss them <laughs> if they were open to that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I, um, yeah, yes. Just, I, I mean, just, wanted, are... just wanted to check that you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be, you know, um, insulted if, if someone started that. No, so no. There's, there's a challenge, like, a challenge be... out there to one of our audience. No, to be, to be frank, Having a Wikipedia page is something like, I don't have a Wikipedia page and Yeah, no, I've just looked. Yeah, and I I and it's I mean because I'm it's well, it's really funny actually Amnesty International um because I became a woman of suffragette spirit um a few years ago they nominated various women and they said that they were going to do this project which is to get more women wikipedia pages because actually women are very underrepresented on wikipedia you know like and it is true that if you know and i'm I'm sorry that i'm saying this to you michael because you're a man but you are asking the lovely question because you are a lovely man it is true that if i was a man i probably would have a wikipedia page um Mm -hmm. yes so that is something but when i've got a wikipedia page and when i've been invited on desert island disc then then i will know that i've done enough in the world (laughs) but uh yeah that's a little bit like climbing everest isn't it because actually i was reading an article and it brought me brought you to mind in a on female mountaineers and how they were all forbidden from climbing everest and then when they did um they were did it skirts yes yeah history yeah. of female mountaineers is is a fascinating read um it's climb mountain climbing is no woman's work um apparently was about um the extent of the the matterhorn yeah i mean i'm like sad to say Bernice, that although things are changing you know there is and I'm sure they're changing on Wikipedia too. Um, but uh, there is still a lot of misogyny in the mountaineering community, and there's definitely a lot of ageism, and you know, and in and in the world, you know. But um, that's another podcast, <laughs> not for today. It's been yeah. this has been a joy, and thank you, Michael, for suggesting that. If anyone wanted to do that, no, you know. <laughs> You don't have to. Life's too short. You should get on with doing the things you want to do. But if someone did, then yes, I might kiss them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think actually, uh, I know we've we've probably over time, but, but I think it's actually a good way for someone to repay back to you because you talked about how you don't want people to feel that they have to do what you do. But there are so many women that get inspired by you, particularly in our community. Because you drop your name, it's oh, 
Jessica. I don't think that's so, true. You're so... No, 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 no. It, it, it is true. I wouldn't bullshit you because that's not what I do. But when I listen, when I listen around, and the two girls here will will bloody tell me tell the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll let someone repay you by doing that. I think that's what needs yeah. to happen. You've just sort of made me like I can feel the tears in my eyes. So, bless you. You know, like it's it's hard being human, isn't it? You know, it's hard. It's hard being human, and so like, and so so things like that you know mean a lot and I know you know and I know this is sort of a bit of an emotional place to end um (laughs) but you know like I know that a lot of the stuff that I've done has come out of not being able to be a mother you know and trying to be good enough and uh you know like I I talked about um this talk on Thursday and I I said that there's one point that I said oh you know like I went through 11 rounds of IVF I know I'm a bit ashamed about that and then some woman spoke up in the audience she said you shouldn't be ashamed about that um and 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 actually I write my speeches and I didn't write that but I just sort of threw it in at that moment and I thought you know like why did I do that and you know it's the same I sometimes feel a little bit ashamed about the fact that I've done all these things and I know that part of it comes out of feeling inadequate (laughs) um and you know will it ever will it ever be enough you know like if I get a Wikipedia page and get invited on Desert Island (laughs) will it be enough who knows but um in that moment when you just said that it really meant a lot so thank you thank you very much I've loved this time and I know everyone else has. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And hope to see everyone who's here who wants to hear more blah. (laughs) um, (laughs) Come, please come to my launch. um, And you're very, very welcome. I have a big house to fill. And of course, we'll repeat some of these things, I'm sure, in the event, but there will be other things um, there, other treats to be had, I promise you. Thank you so much, Jessica, thanks, for Jessica. your time and your inspiration and being you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about our podcast or you have a burning topic we have not covered, please reach out to us as we'd like to be as inclusive and diverse as possible. Or you may even want to reach out to one of the presenters. You can find out all the ways to do that at our website, www.thefullstoppod.com We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. But while you're at our website, please consider subscribing to our listeners list as well as becoming a member of our private online community which helps us fund the podcast and some of our other projects. We'd also love it if you could rate the podcast on the platform you are using and this will help the algorithm get us in front of more of our community. And as always... It's important for us to let you know you are not alone.